The Look Who's Here podcast is proudly brought to you by Ouija, the haunted board game printed by the thousands in a factory in Pittsburgh somewhere. Hey, are you all upset because somebody's not texting you back? Then get yourself a Ouija board, because hey, look, if you're going to be ghosted by someone, it may as well be an actual ghost. What's going on, kids? I am very excited to talk to you this week, because apparently you were excited to hear me talk last week. Very kind words from many of you out there, including lifelong friends. And you know I've told you about my lifelong friends. They won't give you credit for anything. You can, you can cure global warming in 20 minutes. They'll say, nah, that was pretty easy. Even they've been hitting me up. Teenage girls hey. have been enjoying. I cannot believe I'm relatable to them. Hey. Relax. Relax. Okay. I'm just saying it was it was nice to know that the audience is a little maybe wider than I thought. Because I even got reached out to... By some guy in Germany. Some guy in Germany told me that he has a new favorite podcast, which I borderline didn't believe it. So I logged onto my account and I checked. No, there's a there is a stream coming every week, a download from Germany coming every week. That's a good one. Yeah. I really wonder what this guy in Germany is doing while listening to me rant about the salon scam. <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. Yeah, it's kind of spunky. Yeah. That was funny. That kind of reminds me of the time I performed stand-up in Amsterdam. It was at this place called Boom Chicago, and as far as I understand, that's the most popular comedy club in Amsterdam. And I got to perform there, and I remember about 15 minutes before I went on stage, the guys who put the show together said, yeah, you know, Dutch people, they don't really laugh out loud per se. Oh, that's nice to hear, so they don't laugh. So if I deliver something completely funny... I'm just going to be looking at these people, looking back at me, just nodding. That was funny. That was funny. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. But fortunately, we were in Amsterdam, obviously a huge tourist destination. So I'd say it was 40% locals and 60% tourists, ranging from all different destinations. And it ended up being fine because I defaulted to a tactic that I knew would work, which is insult my very fat American friends in the back four rows, which sounded a little something like this. Before I came here, I literally had to Google, what do Dutch people think about Americans? <laughs> One of the first things that came up was uh, that you guys think we are fat and stupid. Like the Griffins. It literally said that in this person's review. Like the Griffins from Family Guy. <laughs> and I want to be like, huh? Hey, where's the fat? Where's the fat? But my friends are all here, and I can assure you, it's in the back. <laughs> A fat New Yorker cackling in the back row like a hyena can easily make up the decibel deficit lost from those two and a half Dutch people who theoretically wouldn't be laughing. <laughs> I know all their ways. I know all their ways. I can't even tell you because I don't know the shit metric system well enough to tell you their weight because I'm too stupid. So there you have it. They're fat. I'm stupid. Google wins again. <laughs> That actually reminds me of a separate trip that I went on to Iceland. If you remember a few weeks back, I spoke about that bartender from the Dave & Buster's type of place in Iceland that I was willing to just throw my whole life away for. She was that attractive. Same trip. Oh, it's a girl from Icelandic air. Oh. Uh, we stayed right in the heart of Reykjavik. Reykjavik is their main city. That's their New York City. And we stayed right on the main strip of New York City, or their equivalent to it. Anyway, when you walk down the main street in Reykjavik, you could hear a pin drop. 
the people, they were so calm, like they whispered to each other while walking down the street. And that was just the way. They leaned in and said, where do you think we should go to dinner tonight? That is until an avalanche of fat folks known as my New York friends got off that plane and started hobbling down the street because half my friends walk with a limp for some reason, despite the fact that none of them are injured. And hey, we're going to get some fucking coffee and a big steak. That's what they're yelling down the main streets of Reykjavik as everyone else is dressed nice, speaking nice, acting nice. And then my fat friends, where can I get a fucking steak? Waddling down Main Street. Not walking, waddling. Oh. So from a comedy club perspective, it was unbelievably great to have those New Yorkers there to add to the ambience with the laughter. On the main streets of Reykjavik? Uh... Oh, wait, so by the way, I, I forgot to mention, this is not actually brought to you by Ouija, because I don't know the legal ramifications. This is not brought to you by Ouija. But also, like I said, if there is a type of way to get ghosted, I'd rather it be by Ouija than the girl I met last weekend. If you know me at all, you know that I think ghosting, ignoring, social media weaponization, it's all as deplorable as it gets. Just answer. There's no shame. Like, there's no shame in telling someone, you know, I don't want to hang out with you. But you know what's even worse than ghosting? Tell me. Strategic answering. So there's a contingent of people out there who don't want to be lumped in with the lump scum of ignorers. You like that? That's a new term. Like, you know, lump sum? No, the lump scum. But there's a contingent of people who space out their responses to achieve the desired result of ghosting without actually having to reveal the fact that they are indeed a ghost. Here's how they do it. Here's how they do it. You ready? So, for example... I hit somebody up at 7 or 8. Hey, you want to go out tonight? Then they responded 10:15. Oh, I'm at Johnny Dakota's right now. Now, you wouldn't do this, but if you were to go there, if you were to show up at Johnny Dakota's, you think they'd be there by the time you got there? Of course not. Because then they wouldn't have responded when they did. The time that they will respond to you is the time they'll be leaving minus the time it takes you to get there. Or you could say something like, hey, I'm actually free anytime after lunch. If you want me to drive down, it should only take me 30 minutes. You can give them all day to answer. But when do they respond? 9.15 p.m. Because now they know you can't respond right away after being left in no man's land for seven straight hours. And the quickest you can possibly respond to that text after being left in no man's land for seven hours is, what, 15 minutes later? So now that puts you at 9.30, which now puts your arrival at 10 p.m., which is the official beginning of awkward time to arrive. In my opinion, it's a way worse form of crime because there's levels of calculation that goes into that. You've, like, measured it out like a nuclear missile. Well, if we put it here at this trajectory, then it will land at this time, preventing him from doing this counter move. You've calculated your assault. And if you know how the court of law works, which... I mean, I clearly don't, but I do know that a premeditated murder carries a way longer sentence than a, for example, murder of passion. And that's exactly what you've done, you strategic answers. You've pre-planned your text murder. And by the way, if you're one of those people who say, oh, well, you know, you're overthinking it. Would you say that to Peyton Manning when he was analyzing a defense? Oh, Peyton, you know, you're overanalyzing all those blitz schemes. Just go out there and wing it. That works. Omaha! 
No, no, no. I've developed a series of hypotheses, which are then tested out in the field to ultimately verify or disprove their credibility. For example, when a girl tells me that she never checks her phone, and then I see her lighten up a storm on social media, color me skeptical. So skeptical, in fact, that I had to invent a scam to get to the bottom of it. And what better time to introduce my scam of the week? It's a scam. That's a scam. What a scam that was. So this was all a scam, huh? This one is called the decoy number scam. The decoy number scam. It's very simple. If you think that somebody is playing games with you, they're a game player, they do things like strategically answer you after a certain amount of time has gone by to mess with your head, and you are suspicious of that, and they give you one of those excuses like, oh, sorry, never check my phone. Here's what you do. You get yourself a decoy number. There are many ways to do this. I'm not going to tell you which service to go with, but just have a second phone number handy. Then you send this girl a text that merits any sort of response. I used to say something like, are you still coming to that happy hour after work? Where that person would be like, what the hell? Did I miss something? And then they would at least respond back like, wait, who is this? And then by the time they respond, you got your answer. You now know how often this person checks their phone. You know their standard response time. Now you take that standard response time, you look at it, and then compare it with your response time. Do they match up? Or do your responses happen to come nine times later, if not more? And if so, you have yourself a game player. Okay, very simple, very simple. It's the decoy number scam. Now, look, you're going to look at me and say, oh, my God, Andy, how could you do these things? I go into every situation with every human being and extend my hand, say, hi, I'm Andy. And I extend it to shake. Then when somebody just goes and pulls out the sword, now I got to pull out my sword. I didn't want to pull it out. I never would have pulled it out. But now you took it to that level. And now I just had to, you know, as they say, match your energy. I matched your energy. I was texting back and forth with a girl that I used to work with earlier this week, and she was explaining to me how she commended anybody who was able to commit themselves to marrying somebody with a disability, especially one that would make sex life more difficult and whatnot. And here's how my dumb mind works. You want to know what I was thinking about when she said when she explained that to me? You know what was in my mind? Like, oh, it's hard to be with somebody with a disability because, you know, sex life will be severely impacted. I thought about this scene from Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, where Rob Schneider's with that girl with a wooden leg and he's just bashing it with a stick. That's what was in my head. When she said, be with someone with a disability, the first thought in my head was wooden leg from Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo. Believe it was the second one. Just whack it against my shins as hard as you can, okay? (laughs) But then she clarified that she was specifically talking about the type of person who's able to marry somebody who's already paralyzed. To which I responded to her, well, I mean, yeah, but you know they're not getting caught when they cheat. And then I brought up Stephen Hawking and she said, well, no, that's a completely different situation. She got married to him, then his condition worsened. That's a whole nother level. And then to which I responded, not really. Well, as far as I can tell from all the friends I grew up with who got married, and there are many of them, they're having just as much sex as those paralyzed couples. So 
I don't know how much credit they deserve. But regardless, my friend is right. Marriage is a tough thing. I've seen plenty of marriages. I've seen marriages that work out beautifully. Some of my friends, their marriages are great. Other ones, you know, <laughs> not so much. Here are a couple different types of marriages and weddings that I've seen through the years. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've seen a couple of these as well. Number one would be your chalk wedding. Standard wedding that comes pre-packed when you buy those photo frames. You know, the picture of those two people that's already in there that you have to take out and put in you and your disgusting other person? It's the classic. They met in college. They move in together after graduation. Go on a few vacations. They usually end up engaged at like 26, married at 27, two kids by 30. Then that's a wrap. A marriage so clean you could actually air it on Disney+. Plus. The second is a little more complicated. It's the no-going-back marriage. There's no going back. This is the marriage where the couple has been together so long that they just can't pull the cord on their toxic relationship because of the amount of time that's already been invested. So now they just plow forward, convincing themselves the next step will somehow fix everything. Oh, well, moving in together didn't make it better? Then why don't we get married? Oh, that didn't make it better? Well, let's have a kid. Oh, that didn't make it better? Well, then let's have another kid. Yeah, they stay together despite all the red flags that were raised along the way. And as my friend once idiotically said to a girl at the bar, red flag? Don't you mean that black flag with the skull and the bones behind it? But I guess he was actually kind of right. The third and clearly least desirable option from my perspective, this would be called the panic marriage. A panic marriage is when somebody starts to hear that 30-year-old clock ticking, so they just scrounge up someone who you know they wouldn't have chosen if they had the luxury of more time. Like if they were 22 years old, they wouldn't even let this guy take them out on a second date, let alone take them down the aisle. And you know you've seen something like this before. A couple from your high school who never wanted each other their whole lives until magically, at the age of 28, what, they found the love of their life. The love of their life who willfully passed on them year after year for 15 years. So yeah, that's a panic marriage where you hear that clock ticking, you're going to all your friends' weddings, and then you just say, oh, who's available? And then you just scrounge that person to your left and keep them for the rest of your life. A panic marriage. And although a panic marriage definitely frightens me, there is one thing that scares me even more than that. But before I tell you, just know that you're probably going to like me less and or judge me for thinking this, depending on who you are. But, you know, like I said earlier, I received many kind messages from a bunch of you last week. And one message was from a friend who said, I love the honesty in your work. Even if it's scheming, it's honest scheming, LOL. <laughs> and I really appreciated that message. But it makes sense. In a world where every single person you see on the air, they sound like an athlete giving you those watered-down post-game answers because they're scared of, I don't know, potential repercussions. It's probably refreshing to hear a guy like me who doesn't mind comparing girls' selfies to a cardboard cutout of Kevin Bacon at Universal Studios. As Eminem once said, I'm only giving you things you joke about with your friends inside your living room. The only difference, I got the balls to say it in front of y'all, and I don't gotta be soft or sugar-coated at all. Now, I didn't even mean to flow that. It just kind of slipped into that tempo. But if you're looking for more honesty, just know some of the things are going to upset you. And now allow me to honestly explain to you one of my biggest marriage fears. And it's something I like to call the epiphany theory. I had an epiphany. And this all stems when I went to spring break while I was back in college. There was this girl 
from my school who, rumor had it, had a Corona bottle stuck up her ass while fooling around with someone. Now, I don't know which end or how that works. I don't know the physics, but I mean, math and logic would suggest that some other funky stuff probably went down with her as well. And now one of my biggest fears is that at 25, the Corona bottle up the ass girl has some big epiphany, becomes some like born again Christian who doesn't do anything wrong. And then all of a sudden I meet her online in CVS thinking, oh, you know, I got myself the catch of the century before you know it. I chipped my tooth on my first trip to Brown Town. Or how about this? One time I was standing behind these two Quinnipiac kids before dinner. We had a mutual friend. So these kids were just acquaintances to me. But as we were waiting for our table to be ready, one of these guys, like, you know, he's scrolling on, I can't remember for Instagram, Facebook, and he shows his other friend, oh, look, so-and-so just got engaged. The other guy just casually glances over and goes, oh, yeah, remember when we double teamed her outside of Toad's? And then I shoot up like Frankenstein to see what this person looks like. And who is it? Some kind little looking 5'1 girl with the engagement ring on her finger from some guy just smiling ear to ear, thinking he's got the catch of a lifetime. And look, I know, I know double standards. How can you say that? Well, first of all, by admitting I'm a piece of shit. You are nothing but a piece of crap. That's how I can say it. If a piece of shit tells you he's shit, you no longer have the right to say he stinks. A piece of crap. While you already hate me on that topic, I'm going to quote something I heard from Bill Burr's podcast years ago. A guy, I believe, wrote in, and he had a retort to that old guy-girl sex thing. And this was a legendary line. I don't care if you don't believe it or not. It's a good line regardless. He said, if there is a key that opens many locks, it is an unbelievable key. If there is a lock that is opened by many keys, that's a pretty shitty lock. It's the best analogy I've ever heard of when it comes to that guy-girl sex perception debate. And I'm not asking you to believe it. It's just an interesting analogy. Now, I didn't make that one up. The one that I made up was a guy fucks, a girl gets fucked. The only way a guy gets fucked it's if it's by another guy. And that's the difference. So I saw there was a big story in the news the last couple of days. They moved the MLB All-Star game out of Atlanta for political reasons. Well, enjoy it, my friends, because that will be the last time the MLB makes headlines this year. Because Lord knows nobody cares about that sport. You know baseball's bad when the highest-profile comments about the MLB thread came from the Daily Wire and Politico. Baseball has become so boring and unwatchable that my ex-girlfriend, yes, of the now infamous plain text message, told me that she used to study for college tests when she went to baseball games. Like her friends would want to go to a game or something, and she didn't want to miss out on hanging out with them. But she knew there would be more than enough time to study for a full med school test at a baseball game. That's how exciting the ambiance and atmosphere is at a baseball game. Just a bit outside. Now, I don't agree with Gen Z on a whole ton, but this is one thing I definitely do agree on. And it is that baseball is unwatchable. And the worst part about it is this comes from someone who used to watch baseball all the time. The sport just died. It used to be one of my favorite sports. I mean, part of it is not 
the sport's fault, though. Like, the same way the NFL lucked into society becoming this ADD-ridden instant gratification society, which ultimately allowed Red Zone to thrive and all the NFL games are played in one day, which is very conducive to that kind of life. People's diminishing attention spans sent baseball the other way. For God's sakes, I cannot get one of these kids to click the watch more on IGTV button after a video plays for 15 seconds. You think people really want to watch Mike Sosha walk his fat ass out to the mound to orchestrate a lefty on lefty pitching change in the bottom of the ninth of a game that's been going on for five hours. No, they don't. And another reason baseball is hard for me personally to watch is because I was desensitized to it. When I was young, it really was. It was my second favorite sport. I played it. I watched it all the time. But then I watched the Mets play the Yankees in the World Series while living in New York. New York versus New York living in New York. So it was crazy at the time. And then when I was living in Boston, I watched the seven-game series where Aaron Boone hit the Game 7 home run, followed by the very next year, the Yankees 0-3 collapse to the Red Sox, all while I was living in enemy territory in Boston. Those three series were some of the most high-stakes series you could ever be a part of. There was absolutely no way to match or replicate the emotions from those series. Nobody goes down on milligrams of their prescriptions. You can only go up. You don't go into those wacky categories on Pornhub only to return to, oh, standard sex. Then, couple that with the game getting rid of roids, plus the minimal celebrating, there was no shot. No shot. And please, if you're a baseball fan, I don't want to hear your garbage. Oh, but the regional attendance shows that it... No, no, just turn on the game. Turn on the game. Look at the audience compared to the 2004 stands. There are empty seats everywhere, not because of the pandemic before it, and everyone's yawning. Okay, you sound like the same person who tells me the WWF slash WWE, whatever you want to call it, is just as popular from when I was a kid. Go watch Monday Night Raw from 1998. Everybody is yelling like they're on steroids, holding signs, going nuts. Now you turn it on, no one's people are looking at their phones. They're not even looking at the ring. So if you're a baseball fan, you don't have to lie to yourself. I'm sorry. Look, you have a relative who's dying. Don't lie to yourself and say that the person's not dying. Just spend as much time as you can before they're no longer with us. Speaking of that 2004 collapse, I remember I didn't watch SportsCenter for like an entire year trying to avoid seeing anything from that game. I was devastated. If you lived in Boston, your average Red Sox fan back then would sicken you. That was the thing there. Every little shit from New England who moved to Boston and went to school there bought their little pink Red Sox t-shirt and pink Red Sox hats singing Sweet Caroline. Then cut to me limping into town with a crooked Yankee hat like CeCe Sabathia listening to DMX. Hope he can make it through, by the way. This world can't afford to lose foul-mouthed, opinionated people like DMX, so hopefully he's able to pull through. But yeah, believe it or not, Boston was not very welcoming to loudmouthed, shitty teenage New Yorkers such as myself. But in retrospect, I guess I don't blame them. I mean, I'm barely likable now. You can only imagine how unlikable I was in college. But after seeing the Yankees win in seven games in a dramatic series and then lose in seven games in a dramatic series, it taught me a very important life lesson that spanned outside of sports for certain. And that is that the high of winning will never match the low of losing. There are a million examples that bear this out. Like I remember listening to a Tony Parker interview after 
the Spurs played the Heat in back-to-back championships. Now, they should have won both championships. Like the first year, they had the series won. Miami's fans emptied the building in Game 6, I believe, and only a miracle comeback allowed the Heat to come back and win the series. Then those same two teams met again the next year, and the Spurs just crushed them. But after the second series, Tony Parker was asked, what do you remember more about those series? And he said, the lost series. It was almost like the one series did nothing for him. And that's what I'm talking about. It's an interesting thing with like the human condition. The high of winning $1,000 never equals the low of losing $1,000. It's just the human condition. And I think... I think a certain part of it is no different than like when you get your hand burned. Your body remembers that feeling vividly because it never wants to re-experience that pain. I just, I just think it's the same thing. When something bad happens, your body really hones in on it. It spans across so many different levels. Nights that went perfectly for me. They went, everything went the way I had hoped. Can't remember a blessed thing. However... A girl called me out for using the word emasculated incorrectly one time. I remember where I was standing, what I was doing, who I was with. And it's just the way it is. I'm, now, like I said, I can't speak for everybody else. That's how it is for me. And Tony Parker. <laughs> Tony Parker. Speaking of remembering things, I used to think this when I was a kid. Like when someone goes to court and was asked, where were you on the night of February 19th, 2014? How does somebody not say, how the f*** am I supposed to know? How the hell am I supposed to know where I was on that night? And as an adult, I finally learned the answer to that question. How do people remember where they were on February 19th, 2014? Obviously, Snapchat memories. All right, kids, I hope that episode delivered for you like a blue text message. You got your scams, you got your stories, you got some controversial stuff, you got everything you know that usually comes with me. I'd like to thank you once again for coming back. I try to keep these episodes around 30 minutes because I remember when I used to watch The Sopranos and Entourage. I always felt like I wanted more of an episode with Entourage. And when I watched Sopranos, I always felt like I could have used 15 minutes less. So I've always remembered that. I'd like to remind you one more time that this episode was not brought to you by Ouija or any ghosts that lie beneath. But actually was brought to you by nobody. But that all changes if you guys can let somebody know about this. Now, if you guys are texting me saying you enjoy it, I just need you to redirect your next text to somebody else and say they would enjoy it. If you can do that for me, I would sincerely appreciate it. Have a great weekend, and I will see you next week.